This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, take your Bibles and look with me now in Psalms 53. This is the second sermon in the series, An Autumn Breeze in the Psalms. And I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 6. My message this morning is entitled simply, God is Real. And when I put this particular sermon together, and especially with this topic, I wrestled at first with the idea that, you know, preaching a message, God is real. I don't know how many might be watching by internet today that might be struggling with that thought, but I think most people that attend church on a regular basis have already come to grips or come at peace with this passage. And at first, when I looked at this, I said, you know, that's going to be like preaching John 3.16 because most everybody here this morning has, uh, has the assurance of this title. However, I have found myself preaching on John 3.16 many times over the last year. And you know what? It's like the old song, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. So I don't believe we could ever get too rusty or too old or too stale in the word. So taking a simple title like this, I pray that I can bring justice to it through the power of the Holy Spirit that would encourage you, that would equip you, and to give you something to think about perhaps you haven't thought about in quite some time. And so that's our goal and purpose for today. And so Psalms 53, in this message, God is real. I want to read verses 1 through 6. Follow along with me. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back they are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Well, that's classic. That repeats itself in Scripture. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Recently, on June the 17th, the USA Today published an article that talked about the decline of Americans who believe in God. The report went on to say that this is the lowest survey that they have taken since 1944. And so imagine how that translates into millions of people who say that they do not believe in God. 
And when the survey was asked, what was their perception of God, some felt confident to say, well, we believe in a higher power. Psalms 53 speaks specifically to the one who says there is no God. And I want you to look at this carefully. It speaks directly to those who have completely shut God out of their minds and out of their hearts completely. So pay close attention this morning. Because Psalms 53 is not addressing the crowd of the maybes, the could be's, or the possibilities. Psalms 53 is emphatically declaring and speaking to those who say that there is no God. And so maybe you know somebody like that today. You've talked to them before and they have testified. They don't believe in God. There is no God. I want us to look more carefully at this today because here's the interesting thing. When you look at Psalms 53 and you take time to study this word for word and you look at these words and you, and, and you let them dwell in your heart and your mind, I want you to notice this. Psalms 53 doesn't say that these people do not believe with their lips. The Bible says, the fool has said in his heart. There's a big difference between saying something like that with your lips and saying something like that with your heart because the staggering thought about this is found in Romans 10, verse number 10. For with the heart, this is important, folks. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So this is important, and there's something that I would like for you to let sink in this morning, because here's the thing. The Scripture never tries to defend the existence of God. Grasp that truth. The Bible is not given to us to throw around to say, let me prove something to you. Let me prove something to you. It never tries to prove the existence of God. In fact, the opening chapter and verse of the Bible settles all of that. In the beginning, God. There's no question. There's no debate the very first chapter and verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So from the very beginning of the Bible, the Word declares that there is a God. The Scripture from the very beginning, the opening passages, it puts us in a posture that we should know Him, we should seek Him, we should take steps towards him. We should talk to him. We should walk with him. And he's not made any of those things difficult or complicated for us to figure out. 
He's placed enough things in the elements of creation alone to reveal himself in the most simplistic ways to understand. But I will tell you, it's not without personal responsibility. And so what we know about and believe about him depends upon what we do with the revelations that even go back to creation itself. But let me set your mind at ease about something today. And I want you to think with me now. Because if you have ever doubted God at some point in your life, you're not alone. You say, well, Pastor, that's a horrible thought. It's a scary thought. But if we're going to be honest and truthful this morning, listen carefully, you're not alone. I mean, if you have ever questioned God, about anything, you're not alone. I want to remind you, I want you to, this is a beautiful illustration out of Scripture, and I want you to get this today. I want to remind you briefly of a unique story. So follow along with me just for a minute. If you remember, John the Baptist, he was baptizing at the River Jordan, and he sees Jesus making his way, passing in and out of the crowd, and as Jesus gets closer to the Jordan, John stops what he's doing and he says these words that we all are familiar with. He says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now you think about this. Think about the people that's in the water. Thinking about the people that's coming to the water. Thinking about the crowds of people that were there watching their loved ones become baptized. And he sees Jesus and he says, wait a minute, stop everything. Behold, here he is. This is the Lamb of God right here, what I've been talking about. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There he is. And so immediately the entire crowd takes their mind off of what John's doing, what their loved one and what their friend is doing, and they turn to Jesus. And then John the Baptist not only makes that declaration, there he is, this is the Lamb of God, but then John also sees the miraculous confirmation about this. John had the privilege of baptizing Jesus himself and the word says this in John 1, verse 32 and 34. They'll get these scriptures on the screen for you. And John bear record saying, I, look at this. He not only speaks the words, he not only makes the great declaration, but then he sees the great confirmation. He says, I bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this, look at this, this is important, because if you have ever doubted God, if you have ever questioned God, you're not alone. John is speaking with great authority. He said, I bear record that this man is, he didn't say might be, could be, or should be. Jesus had made his way to the Jordan, and he said, John said, I bear record this 
is the Son of God. He spoke those words with great confidence and great assurance. It was an exciting day. And John the Baptist, his life, it was a mountaintop experience. And we have all had those moments of life-changing experiences on spiritual mountains of our life. But I will tell you this, that when John spoke those words, this is the Son of God, and he had the privilege of baptizing Jesus, and he saw the Spirit descending upon him. All of that visuality and all of that confirmation, you would say, from that point forward, John the Baptist, my goodness, he should have never doubted. He should have never questioned. He should have never had a problem. But things did not always stay on the mountain with John the Baptist. Soon, things went south for him. He went from the mountaintop and to the belly of a prison. And, and the truth of the matter is we all have seasons like that in our life. We can be at times full of joy and happiness and singing and praising God, lifting our hands, giving him the glory. And then before you know it, things are going south in our life and we find ourselves full of sorrow. This is what happened to John. And so John comes from that wonderful experience. This is him. This is he. This is the Son of God. I saw the Spirit descending upon him. He's now in prison. He's now awaiting execution. And the bold confidence that John the Baptist had at the Jordan, it's seemingly to just disappear. It's seeming to melt away almost in a twinkling of an eye. Because look at this in Matthew chapter 11, verse number two and three. I want you to see how this is playing out from this wonderful episode of this is the son of God. Now, when John had heard in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And now look at this. Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever doubted God? John the Baptist did. In verse number three, and he said unto him, now you have to remember, he spoke with great confidence. This is him. Now he's saying he's in prison. Now he's saying unto him, art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Now, that's quite different than the confidence he had at the Jordan. Now he's saying in the belly of the prison, are you really him? Think about this. Things had changed in his life, and it made him question some things. It made him question some of the issues, and in comparison... When our circumstances in life abruptly change, it's very possible for us to doubt as believers just like John. So if you have ever doubted God, you're not alone. If you've ever questioned him, you're not alone. And perhaps we'll begin to doubt or question him when things that we have believed for years 
maybe through the process of changing circumstances, we'll begin to doubt him and we'll begin to ask ourselves the question, does he care? Or why is he allowing these things to happen to me? Why hasn't he answered my prayer? But keep this in mind. If John the Baptist could doubt, believe me, there are things that could happen to both you and me to make us doubt some stuff as well. Now, here's another spiritual truth, and I want you to wrap your heart around it. The Lord knows because he's omniscient. He knows that it takes incredible faith for us to believe in him. He knows it. In fact, he said this to Thomas in John chapter 20, verse number 29. So when the disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith, Jesus knows Listen, he knows that it takes great faith for you and I to believe in him and to believe in his promises. Jesus said this in John 20, verse 29. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. So the Lord knows you know, Thomas, when, it, when Jesus said, touch me, he had already declared, unless I touch the nail prints, unless I put my hand on his ribbon side. And it was very easy for Thomas to say, yep, you're the one. But none of us have seen him with our physical eyes. And Jesus was making that very clear. He said, Thomas, listen, you've had the benefit, you've had the privilege of believing because you have seen me, you have touched me. Jesus said, but hold on. There's coming a multitude of people behind you who have not touched me, who have not seen me, and yet believe. So I want you to think about this. He said, Thomas... You've got it a whole lot better than a lot of other folks. When it comes to you and I, listen, we don't believe because we can see and touch. When it comes to you and I, we believe in what we cannot see and what we cannot touch. In fact, the word says in Hebrews 11:1. 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so even though God had a place and has a place and a plan and a purpose for the Holy Spirit within us, listen carefully, the belief in God, the belief in God takes the mighty influence, the mighty power, the mighty conviction of the Holy Spirit. He places before us, listen, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, God places before us a willingness to know him. He places with, and that's something that we cannot orchestrate within ourselves. But I think we can all testify that we have, we have had since the day that we got saved. If anyone told me that they did not have this to happen to them, I would not believe it. I would not believe a word of it. Because what I believe is this, every single one of us, from the day that we've got saved until this very day, every one of us have had tested, and tried faith, all of us. And so if you find yourself struggling 
to find out who God is, listen, or if God cares, or if he's listening to you, or if he's always there, if he's forsaken you. Listen, carefully, believe me, you're not the first one that's ever questioned God. You would not be the first one that's ever doubted God. And the Lord knows that there are going to be times in our life when we're going through Brother David's teaching a Sunday school series on valleys. Brother Danny's getting ready to teach one on mountains. But God knows this, that every valley that we walk through, he knows that our faith is going to be tested and tried. I believe that there'll be times in our lives when we have to earnestly and fervently pray to work through some of those doubts and questions and temptations because one of the things that the devil tries to tempt us with and is successful at many points in our life is that when we get down, when we're going south, we are very prone. It's the way we're wired. We're very prone to have pity parties. And when we do and we, we begin to pout and we begin to pull away from the spirit, this is the time that the devil will launch all the arsenal of hell against us to make us doubt. But listen carefully, God has provided the Holy Spirit to help us work through these doubts and temptations that the devil throws at us. I want you to see this in Romans chapter 1, verse number 18 through 24. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in uprighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Now, verse 20 is a very powerful verse. Look carefully at it. For the invisible things of him, and I have highlighted this in my scripture, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now I want you to look at this because I've underlined the word from the creation of the world. God created everything in such a way that we could know him and created everything in such a way that not only could we know him, but he created everything in such a way that it would draw us closer to him. In Psalms 19, 1, the word says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And so, look carefully. Through his creation, through the sun, through the moon, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, the vegetation of this world, the animal kingdom and human life, everything points to the omnipotence of God, everything. That's the way God designed it. That's the way he built it. Psalms 104 says this in verse 24 and 25, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. 
The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. So I want to remind you of something else here because I gave you an illustration of John the Baptist and I want you to consider the great servant of God, Job, for a moment. We are all aware that there was a season in his life where everything rapidly fell like John the Baptist. Everything in Job's life that he counted dear was taken to him, taken away from him almost in the blink of an eye. And things had got so bad in Job's life that he, in his doubting, created the Lord to respond to him like this. In Job's moment, this is what God said to Job in Job 38, verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darketh and hath counsel by the words without knowledge? God said to Job, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Now, if the Lord were able, and I'm not saying he's not able, with God all things are possible. But if God were to speak to me today in an audible voice like he did to Job and said these words, I think I would shrivel up into a fetal position. If you take time to read this chapter, verses 4 through 30, God takes Job to school and reminds him of his omnipotence and his handiwork. And those verses, I think, will bring a holy chill if you, if you baptize yourself in them, you submerge yourself in them. And let me encourage you the next time, for example, the, and, and we're kind of winding up vacation seasons for everybody, but the next time you go to the beach, or the next time you see a beautiful sunset or sunrise, or the next time you take a beautiful mountain hike, or maybe you go to a place like the Grand Canyon, or maybe you stand out on your back porch and you look up at the Big Dipper. Take a moment to reflect upon the bigness and the greatness of You can do this when you know him. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And so in the dark and depraved world that we live in, let me assure you of some things real quickly. Number one, let me assure you that God is real. The witnesses of Scripture and all around us cannot be denied. The heavens proclaim it. Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. 
Creation screams of his realness. Psalms 100, verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The saints of old have testified and passed it down. In Psalms 145, verse 3 and 4, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Jesus himself proclaimed it in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so on the victory side, Job, he in his sorrows, this is what he said. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. He said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I myself can testify with great confidence he is real because I can feel his presence in my hands. I can feel his presence in my thoughts. I can feel his presence in my words. I can feel his presence in my heart. As the old song says, if God is dead, then who's this living in my soul? Number two, the question is this, is God real to you? Somebody might say, well, pastor, I don't know how to answer that. I I want to know. But to tell you the truth, with all the denominations and all the ideologies and all the faiths and all the beliefs, and this one said this and this one said this, I had a young man tell me just yesterday. He said, Pastor, he said, I've tried out Jehovah's Witness. I've tried out the Mormons. I've tried out the Pentecostals. I've tried out the Catholics. I've tried out the Baptists. He said, I'm just trying it all out because I just want to go to heaven. That's what he said to me. And I said, hey, You can know God. You can know him in a personable way. And he can declare his righteousness and holiness to you. You might say, I'm just not convinced, Pastor. Well, then that would make you an agnostic. If you say, I believe that there are many gods, then that would mean you embrace what is called polytheism. But if you say, without a doubt, I know that God is real, then it's because you know him and you have met him. Let it be more than just a belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let it be like the song of Moses in Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he had triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath thrown into thrown he and thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Because listen now, because he is your God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, El Shaddai. You can have fellowship with him and he with you any time, any day, any place because he's real. You are assured that nothing, listen carefully, with God's omnipotence, 
and with his omniscience. Do you know what the word omniscient means? He's all-knowing. With God's omniscience, you can be assured that nothing will ever take God by surprise. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? You think that through for a minute. Single yourself out. When it comes to your life, listen, God already knows you. He, he knew you then. He knows you now. He knows you in the future. God knows everything about you right now. God has seen everything about you now. And you know, he is never exhausted in the fact that he knows what we're thinking, what we're doing, where we're going, what we're saying. He knows all of these things. Isaiah 40, 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the faith, of the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God sees and knows it all. Number three, quickly. Let me ask you this question. What is it about your lifestyle that communicates to others that God is real? There's a passage of Scripture that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. He said, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We have a responsibility. Listen, we know him. He knows us. He knows our name. We know his name. And we have a responsibility to this world who walks in darkness to be salt and light. When you stop and think about it, get this truth today. Just stop what you're doing, Selah, for a moment. Pause and think and meditate. When you stop and think about this, our Mondays could speak more about what we know about God than our Sundays. Are you with me? Our Mondays could speak more of what we know about God than our Sundays. You say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? I mean, when we become, when we become tired and we become broken, we become tested, we become tried, we become weary, we become sorrowful, we feel like we're empty. Think about when at those times, when we cross somebody's pathway, somebody else's pathway in life who might be going through some of those same things, what do you have to offer the shift in the swelling tide of someone else's defeated life when you come across their life? What do you have to encourage them? What do you have to lift their spirit? What do you have that would embrace them in encouragement? We live in a, in a war zone both culturally and spiritually. So listen carefully. Always be willing to testify. Not grumble, complain, and gripe, but always be willing to lift him up. When he is lifted up, he will draw all men nigh unto him. Number four, our musicians come quickly. Thank God we have the answer. 
Remember this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. No true believer who has ever seen God's faithful hand, whether it be in shallow water or whether it be in flooding tides, no true believer can ever deny his existence. I mean, we might be despaired enough to say, God, where are you? God, why are you taking so long? Where are you? Lord God, Jehovah, listen, we might be despaired to say, do you care? Are you going to answer? Have you left me? Have you forsaken me? But we will never, ever be so despaired to say, God, if you are really real, because we know him. He's not a made-up, pretend person in our life. Some, some people just treat the Spirit of God like he was a magic genie that had rolled up on the shore and they find this bottle and they get in trouble. Oh, God, help me now, Jesus. And that's the only kind of Jesus they know is when they're in trouble. But listen carefully. We don't question if he's real. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You and I, listen, we don't question the realness of him. I'm so thankful that Psalms 53, it doesn't end with verse number one. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Praise God, there is a verse 6 in this chapter. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out. I have underlined, highlighted these words in my scripture, come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. The words, look at this, that salvation is come out. And that could only, salvation could only come from God. Psalm 68, 20, he that is our God is the God of salvation and unto God the Lord belongeth the issues from death. God has designed that this whole world could know him and would know him to experience him, to receive him, to walk with him and to live with him. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives because he's in my heart. How about yours today? Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.